Welcome to today's episode of the Rural Ecosystem Services podcast series, where we explore the services that Scotland's rural natural capital supplies. Today we're talking about arable land and we're joined by Mary Jane Laurie from SAC Consulting. Um, I'm an agriculture consultant with SAC Consulting. Um, I'm based in the Edinburgh office and I'm also um, part of a family farming business which is based just west of Edinburgh. Um, it's a, a mixed beef and arable farm. Okay, that's great. And you're joining us today because you have the two hats. You are a consultant and you've also got your mixed farm. So we'd like to just talk about the different natural capital habitats on your own farm and your experience of this in a consulting world as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been with SAC for 10 years and um, my background is in um, agri-environment schemes. I studied conservation biology at university um, and grew up on a, a farm in the border. So I've always had that interest um, of the, of how farming and conservation can fit together. So um, first job out of uni was um, working on agri-environment schemes as a land agent down in the borders. And that's where my, my real interest lies. So when I joined um, the SAC, that's what I started off doing. Um, and at, that, at the same time, um, it's when I got married to my husband and joined his family farming business. So I uh, started chipping away at them, <laughs> trying to encourage them to do agro-environmental schemes as well, which wasn't something that they'd ever done on the farm before. Um, at the time, it was uh, 2011 when we got married, that was when the SRDP Rural Priority Scheme was going. Um, so I'd been doing a lot of work on, on those schemes uh, for clients uh, and I thought it was a good opportunity for us to look at it for our, for our farm at home, uh, especially being a mixed farm. There was quite a few different options that sort of suited uh, what we were doing at the time. Oh, nice. And what was the first scheme that you got involved in and the reasonings for choosing for choosing that? So we started with um, the SRDP Rural Priorities. I think that had been running a couple of years. I think it was like the third year of applications that we um, applied for it. So we applied in 2010 and and we got in that year. Um, So that was to start January 2011. And... as I say, at the time, there wasn't any agro-environmental schemes on the farm. There, there hadn't been, it hadn't just, hadn't been a focus of my, my father-in-law, but it was my husband and, and me being more involved in the business. We just thought it was time to look at alternative ways to get a bit of income. And that was the main driver, really, was the additional income that, you, that we were getting from the scheme. But alongside that, it's um, it, it had been a dairy farm um, and then we'd they'd switched to beef farming not long before I sort of joined the business. Um, and so some of the fields were quite well fenced, but a lot of them were just arable production. So um, it was an opportunity for us to look at how we could manage field boundaries, particularly. There was quite a lot of old hedges that had just become very leggy and just weren't terribly well managed. Uh, so it was an opportunity for us to look at, could we be planting new hedges and, and getting the grant to re- reinstate some of the sort of older farm boundaries that had um, fallen by the wayside. So the main thing we did was hedge planting. Um, and I think my husband could have seen me uh, far enough because <laughs> it was over three kilometers of new hedges planted that first year, um, in addition to other ones that were already existing that we were also managing. So I think there was about five kilometers of hedges went into the scheme in that first year, which uh, yeah, at the time probably wasn't the best plan to put that many hedges in in one go uh, but it did mean that the whole farm was planted wherever we could conceivably put in a hedge that was going to be practical for field boundaries um, 
we did. And it's just over the last decade, it's just really transformed the look and the feel of the farm by adding all these hedgerows in um, to quite a large sort of arable landscape round about us. That's fantastic. So the hedges that you're saying you planted was that in the field boundaries and have you seen them providing some more benefits that weren't potentially the originally why you planted them? Yeah, I think there's a, a mixture of reasons why we did plant them. So, um, as I say, it was just to sort of re-establish old old boundaries that had kind of, you know, the fences had gone and, and um, it just partly cosmetic reasons as well, just to make the farm look a lot smarter and a little bit, you know, it, it just has given a nice boundary to a lot of our fields. But biodiversity-wise, which is kind of what I was interested in, Obviously, in a, an arable farm where you've got lots of arable fields joining together and there's just an old rickety fence separating them, there's not a lot in terms in the way of um, biodiversity habitat for, for birds and, and, and insects. So by adding these features back in, it's, it's provided you know miles of, of um, nesting habitat for birds and, and rough grass and things for, for insects as well. So there was a financial aspect to it because the, the grant did cover most of the cost of, of planting them ourselves. And I don't, I mean, I don't think we would have done it with, without the, the grant for it because it was, it would have just been too big a cost. Um, but, but having that grant there just gave us the opportunity to, to reinstate these boundaries and, and um, create valuable habitat for, for wildlife. And have you seen evidence of the biodiversity being improved? Have you seen more species come back now that the hedges have been planted? Yeah, I think that's one of my biggest regrets is that we didn't do a bird survey or anything at the start. I mean, I, I am interested in conservation and, and biodiversity, but I'm not an ornithologist. So um, whilst I like seeing farmland birds, I'm, I'm certainly no twitcher. So I wouldn't have been able to identify them all myself, but I wish we'd possibly find someone that, that could have and done a bird survey before we started all the work and then done one afterwards. I, I don't think we'll have encouraged any extra species onto the farm but we've certainly provided more habitat for those that were already here and there may be more of them just you know you know just by providing that extra habitat I'm sure there probably are more numerous birds but I don't know that we've necessarily attracted any new species that weren't already here but without having had the surveys done it's a shame um we didn't like to do that it's hard to quantify yeah well, that, no that's a shame that there's no kind of baseline to compare because Without a doubt, it probably would have increased the biodiversity, even just the abundance of it. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think that's one of the things that I think is missing from the agri-environment schemes, you know, funded by the Scottish Government, that not necessarily that there should be monitoring compulsory for everyone, but it would be nice if there was an option to select, you know, £500 funding for, for a survey or something at the start and at the end, just to see what species have been encouraged by, by doing whatever options you're doing on your farm, because... You know, you'd like to think that what you're doing is beneficial, um, especially the amount of money and effort that is invested into establishing these these features. Uh, my husband did a lot of the um, fencing and things himself um, just to try and keep the cost down because the grant, it did cover the cost of things, but it was a bit tight. So, And also at the time, there was a lot of uh, fencing and hedging going in across the country. So it was quite difficult to get contractors to, to do the work that we needed done at the time we needed it done because the hedges needed to be planted in the first year so um you needed to basically do them before the spring in the first year so you really only had a sort of four month window to get everything done um which was which was quite quite difficult um yeah it doesn't sound sound like a lot <laughs> <laughs> no. 
yeah yeah um so at that at that time it, it was difficult to get a contractor so my husband did a lot of the the, the manual labor himself to, to get it done so yeah a lot of effort went into it so it's a shame that we haven't got any sort of record keeping yeah i think that should be something that people take on board that the importance of baseline surveys especially if there's a big push to increase biodiversity if you're not going to know if you are increasing it unless you have something to look back on yeah and i think aside from the hedges we have quite a few other options on the farm so we went for um grass margins so they are um, basically wherever we put in a new hedge or whether there was an existing hedge you need the two meters from the center of the hedge um, where you don't cultivate for cross compliance anyway but then in addition to that we've done an extra couple of meters wherever we could uh, round all, all the field boundaries where there's a hedge um, we've got water margins similar we've got the two meters cross compliance but then um, wider in quite a few areas just to sort of catch runoff and things um, we also did uh well, bird seed and under, so we, we were in the SRDP to begin with and rural priorities, and then that ran for five years. And now we're in the, we just finished the agri-environment climate scheme. And in that scheme, there was also the option to add in overwintered stubbles, which which we added in as well. Um, and going back to your question of, of seeing more wildlife, just anecdotally, the, the fields that are in overwintered stubbles, you can walk through them in the winter with the dog and loads of birds are coming up out of it as the dog's running through, which just proves that all these little seed eating birds are in there making the most of that habitat, which where we're not getting paid to keep it over winter. You know, my father-in-law would have ploughed it earlier and that habitat wouldn't be there. So again, whilst we don't have any solid survey information, anecdotally, there's definitely been a, a benefit with the overwintered stubbles, you know, combined with the hedges and the, the grass margins. It just provided a much... Uh, richer habitat on our on our farm that's fantastic and you mentioned the wild bird seed is that just um, margins left and the species are grown just for the seed that it produces for the the birds yeah so we had about five hectares under the eek scheme i can't remember how much we had under the rural priorities i think slightly less um so we basically did the maximum that we were allowed to um because under the eek scheme you're limited to i think it's five hectares um up to 250 hectares of arable um so we were we decided to to, to go for the maximum that we could for that so we have some quite large plots that were just awkward corners awkward areas that were quite difficult to get into with the cedar and the combine and we just made the most of squaring off fields where we could um we had a couple of sort of paddocky areas that had been used for horse grazing and then had kind of been incorporated into the field but it just wasn't really working so those awkward areas we put in um wild bird seed so that had to be sown annually so after um March it was uh, ploughed in and then and re-sown for the following uh, following year and it just provided a seed source over the, over the winter so there was a, a set seed mix that we used used for that um, and uh, just yeah provided provided a seed source that wouldn't have been there otherwise and it just complemented the overwintered stubbles areas as well. That's great. You kind of covered this, but do you need to maintain like the wild bird seeds? Yeah. yeah, so the wild bird seed is an annual um, sort of management that you need to do for yeah. that. So we need to, to plough it out and reseed it annually. The overwintered stubbles, there's not really any sort of labour commitment to that because it's something that you just, after harvest, you just leave your stubble. The restriction for that is that you weren't allowed to ply slurry and manures on it. Um, and then you had to leave it. And I think it was till the 1st of March. Um, I can't remember the date off the top of my head, but you had to, had to leave it a set amount of time and then you could plough it in. So that that probably meant that there was a bit more 
rushing needing done in mm-hmm. the springtime to get things ploughed and then re-sown depending on the weather. Most years we find it wasn't really that much of a time issue because the weather was okay and you could get ploughed and get sown in time. But I, I guess some years it was maybe more more challenging than others. Um, the hedgerow options that we had in, the hedges that were sown and planted in the first year um, for the five-year rural priority scheme, you, you you don't cut them in the first five years because they basically don't grow enough to to need to cut in the first five years. But then when we moved into the EEC scheme after the rural priorities finished, that's when we started cutting um, the hedges and they were sort of done on a three-year rotation um, just to sort of tidy them up um, and start trying to get them shaped into that sort of classic A, A-frame hedge that we were looking for with a wider base and a, a narrower top just to try and get them filling out properly. The thing with the hedges as well, I guess there's we chose not to put rabbit netting on some of them. Um, so some of them are double fenced and rabbit netted, um, and then in areas where rabbits weren't a problem, we decided to use the the tree guards, the little spiral tree guards. Yeah. And the idea with them is that as the hedge grows, they expand, and you don't need to take them off. But and we haven't because there's three kilometres <laughs> of hedges and there's six plants per meter, so it's a heck of a lot of uh, shelters. But we are now wondering as the hedges grow more, these are going to start splitting off. You know, naturally they're they're designed to break once they get to a certain size, and it doesn't sit terribly well with me that these shelters are then going to be lying around in the bottom of the hedgerows. But equally, it's a hawthorn hedge. I don't know how on earth you're supposed to crawl in and crawl in and get it back. Pull them all off, so that yeah, I I don't know that we'd really thought about that at the time. It maybe would have been better to to double fence them, but then again, you've got problems with you know, getting a fence in and then cutting it if it's double fenced, whereas it's much easier to cut them when they've just got the shelters on. So there's probably not a, a perfect answer to that. Um, but yeah, at some point we will probably go and try and take these shelters out the bottom of the hedges if, if we can. We did do some woodland planting as well when we first got into it in 2011 and we have gone and taken all the tree tubes off that. It was only a couple of hectares, but that, I mean, that was still 4,000 tree shelters and stakes to to remove um it was a, a summer student job <laughs> thankfully we didn't have to do it but again that's you know quite a labor and intensive thing again we could have left them to to split off you know as the plastic becomes brittle and the tree's big enough they do they do burst off the tree but i, I just didn't like the idea of all those tubes tubes lying there yeah. and so so that was yeah quite labor intensive and i think we did that about seven or eight years after the trees were planted so um whilst we didn't do anything particularly in the first, well, actually, no, for the trees, we did spray them as well. My husband did spray around them with Roundup and a knapsack in the first couple of years just to make sure that the weeds weren't weeds weren't choking out the trees. And then, yeah, after that, there wasn't much management for a couple of years. And then, as I say, we've now removed the shelters and that, those woodlands now will just be self, self-managing. But the, the hedges need cut every few years and the well-bird seeds an annual, annual management thing. The grass margins that we've got and the water margins, they are they were sown and they, they will just stay there now. Um we'll probably use them for our ecological focus area requirements for our um subsidy claim. But other than that, um, you know, they they get topped if need be. And that's it. And you mentioned the woodland. Is the hedges that you've planted, do they connect as wildlife corridors? Yeah, we tried to. So we have a, a small woodland that runs along next to the farm and along to there's a neighbouring golf course next to us. And at, at one point, I think it would have been a big 
grand country house. It's now a golf club. So it had like a historic woodland and a lot of the trees had, had fallen down from that. But there were some, there are some nice old um, beech and oak trees still in that. So we tried to fill in round amongst them just by realizing that a lot of the older trees had fallen down and at some point that you know the rest of them will fall down so we've tried to fill in there and that connects with the woodland on the neighboring golf course and then alongside that wood we've got um yeah that's where our biggest hedge is it runs uh, parallel to that woodland over the other side of the road and we have tried to to link in all the features we did plan quite a lot where the hedges were going to go um we haven't put them between all the arable fields we've just put them where we thought was sensible to connect in with existing features so we've got uh we don't have much water courses on the farm but we do have a couple of small farm burns uh ditches that have trees alongside them so we've we've connected the hedges in in with those where we could and the wider water margins as well on on those as i mentioned earlier just provides that rough grass next to the trees and the and the hedges just to provide a bit of extra habitat and just keeps us right with the cross compliance as well you know if you've if you know you've got four meters there instead of two you know there's no going to be no um implications of plowing too close no that's great that's great that the, the, the planning was involved how much time do you think you spent on the planning for where you were going to plant the hedges and put the the grassy field strips Oh, uh, weeks. <laughs> I think anyone that's done a, an EECS application or an old rural, rural priorities application will just know how much time and effort goes into it. You know, as a consultant doing these EECS plans, it is at least a week of my sort of full dedicated time doing it. You don't do it in one block. There's lots of to and fro with your client as you try and decide where things are going to go. But the biggest thing is to just to make sure further down the line, you're not going to cause yourself more grief by putting a hedge in a silly place that in five years time you think, oh, why did I do that? I should have had it the other side of the track or or whatever. So it's it's just about trying to future proof it so that if you're going to put in a permanent feature like a hedge, that, that you've you've got it in the right place. I mean, grass margins and water margins are less less of an issue because you ultimately you can play them out as long as you're still within your cross compliance area. Well, bird seeds, um, you know, you can play that out once you're out of the scheme as well. So that's less important to get it in the right place. But things like hedges and trees, we did we did put a lot of a lot of thought into that, and there was lots of to and fro and uh, as we were doing the plan to try and work out the best the best place for things. Uh, and I guess advising my clients now uh, sort of my consultant hat on we don't know what's coming next after the basic payment scheme but it is likely that there's going to be some sort of environmental uh, scheme included within it and it's just about future proofing that you don't tie yourself up with things that you might need in the future so um you know grass margins and things that you're using for ecological focus area this now don't play them out if they're already established because in a couple of years you might need to re-establish them for something <laughs> else so it's yeah so it's just about trying to think forward and and you know the areas that you're sacrificing for your biodiversity benefit um probably are not your most productive areas anyway so keep them in those schemes once you're in it and and then you've got them for for future use is kind of my method yeah, well, I think that you've just covered my next question about any lessons learned and advice that you can give to anyone thinking about planting hedges or increasing biodiversity on their farm with the methods that you've taken. Um, suppose I yeah, I think my yeah my main my main lesson would be yeah not to not to overcommit. So the hedge thing was. <laughs> 
I mean, joking aside, it was just a few months before our wedding. And by the time we got to our wedding day, my husband had lost like half a stone just from walking all these extra miles and planting all these hedges. And I think he could have seen me far enough. Um, you know, don't overcommit to doing a lot of planting or something. If you know, you've got to make sure you can get a contractor. And if you can't get a contractor, can you do it yourself? And then don't tie yourself into something that is going to potentially be an issue. So, you know, think about where you're putting things and think, can I live with that there for the next five years? And I suppose in agriculture, five years isn't that long. You know, the the, the cycle of having cattle and things, you've, you've got them for years and years. It's not a, it's not a one-off whim purchase. So uh, it, it's it's not drastic if you accidentally put something in a, in a place that, you, you know, two years in, you decide it's not ideal. You've only got a couple of years left, but you can also amend your contract. So if, if you get into the second or third year and you think actually that wild bird seed would be better in the neighboring field, you can write to the department and, and move it. So that's that's not a big issue. But obviously, once you planted a hedge, that's it. You've planted the hedge and that's where it's where it is. You're not allowed to take it out again. So it's uh, the, the permanent features put a lot of thought into it, but the less permanent features like wild bird seed or overwintered stubbles, it's it's not really going to impact your business too much. And you can, you can move it if, if need be. And with your uh, consultant head on, can you, where would somebody go? Where would be the first point of call for someone to go to find out more information about establishing a new, a new hedge on their farm? So in terms of um, grant information, so the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme, the EECS that I talk about, it's still available at the moment. They've um, confirmed that there will be two more rounds of that. So the, the grant information and the requirements for establishing a hedge under EECS is listed on the Rural Priorities website. So um, you can go on there and look under, there's a section that just says all schemes and you can look on under there under the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme tab and it'll tell you what requirements there are for, for hedge planting. In terms of if you're wanting to do it off your own back there's lots of resources if you just have a, a, a good old google <laughs> um for for hedge planting um you know there's there's some good companies that do um seed uh, seedlings of native origin as well so um it's important to try and get a good mix of of different species within your hedge we've got hawthorn blackthorn um gelder rose uh, and, and rowan within ours so you can most of it is blackthorn and hawthorn, but you can mix in some species. And, and a lot of these local nurseries will give you advice on what plant species will work best in your area. So uh, quite often phoning up some of these plant nurseries, they, they would give you some advice on, on the best species for, for your hedge in your area. Yeah, and that's a good point about the being kind of site and local uh, specific to the area, getting picked species that will thrive where you plant them. Yeah, and I think... Planting them in the right conditions is is essential as well. There was, a, I can't remember what year it was when I was doing agri-environment climate uh, scheme stuff. Uh, we just had a terribly dry spring and loads of people's hedges failed. And it's difficult because you know you have to do it in that year. You've ordered your plants. They come at that time. You've got to try and plant them. But, um, you know, there just wasn't the rain when the seedlings were planted and lots of people had a lot of failed bits of hedge. But it's a lot of work, but, you know, consider watering them um, if as long as it's not like five kilometres, that's <laughs> a bit too much to water. But if you can, you know, get a tanker out there to, to water water some of these just because if you invest in getting them established well, then it'll thrive. You know, these hedges that we planted 10 years ago are, you know, they look, they're fully mature hedges now looking at them. Um, so it's it's about trying to get them established in the best 
possible conditions. And and thinking about wild bird seed as well, as a consultant, you quite often get the farmer saying, oh, that's a really wet corner. I'll put that in wild bird seed because I, I never get a good crop off it. And whilst that's a good idea because you're you're not, you're going to be losing less income in terms of you're losing less spring barley yield, for example. Wild bird seed's quite difficult to establish because it's a mixture of different seed types. So you do need you do need to try and get it established well in good conditions. Otherwise, the different seeds they just don't germinate and it just never does as well. So whilst it's a good idea to put them in less productive areas of your farm, you've also got to be sure it's going to establish. Otherwise. Um, what's the point <laughs> spending the time and effort and buying the seed if it's not going to grow you know yeah, that's a good that's a good point yeah <laughs> um i think that pretty much covers everything for this episode but maybe we'll just conclude with what is next for yourself and your farm um you've done quite a lot already but in terms of natural capital and increasing biodiversity is there anything that you're planning to do in the near future I think we would have loved to have gone back into another agri-environment scheme, but the EEC scheme that's running at the moment, um, as I said, there's a couple more years left of that one. We just finished a five-year commitment and then we were given an ex- the option to carry over for a year because at that time they weren't committing to extra EECS funding. So we actually did six years of that one and we would have been delighted to go into it again, but we weren't going to score enough points. So um, unfortunately, because we're not in a diffuse pollution priority catchment and we don't have any uh, SIs and we don't have any historic monuments on our farm, those are the sort of things that you needed to to, to get to tick the boxes to score enough enough points for it and we just weren't going to get the points this time so we didn't bother applying which I feel is a real shame because we've been in the scheme for 11 years the first five year rural priorities and then uh, six years of EECS and to not be able to to do it again is a bit frustrating um, so the wild bird seed has been ploughed out um, those that, that could have been and the rest will be ploughed out after harvest this year um, the hedges as I say are a sort of lasting legacy of, of the work that we've done um, but it would be nice if there's going to be future schemes to, to go back into them and, and do some of the options that we would need funding for to justify the cost of sowing wild bird seed every year because the seed is expensive and then obviously the price of grain at the moment it's, it's less attractive to establish wild bird seed if you could get an extra five hectares of, of um, sellable produce. So I, I hope there'll be a new scheme for us in the future. Um, but the way that the subsidies and things look like they're going, it sounds like we need to be doing some of these environmental options anyway in order to get our, our basic payment or whatever comes next. So we're, we're sort of set up with our grass margins and hedges and things that hopefully we can use for future schemes. But it'd be nice if we can get some extra funding for, for doing additional options. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, we'll find out what, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll find out um, in the next year or so. Um, so we've got till 2025 with the basic payment um, and then after that we'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, we're just, we sort of aim to be flexible with our business and try and adapt to whatever schemes come along. Um, it's, in my experience, it's always good to be sort of first in the door when a new scheme comes out because that tends to be the easiest time to get in in terms of scoring points so in a way I think we will just hold off until the new scheme comes because then then we're well placed to, to be one of the first in the door for it and uh, just make the most of whatever funding is available. Okay well thank you for coming on today and um, providing us with the information about the farm and the consulting side. You're welcome. If you would like to find out more about what we've talked about today, go to sruc.ac.uk forward slash exploring ecosystem services.